Welcome to That'll Preach, a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. I'm Brian, I'm here with Paul, and we are going to be your navigators for your podcast experience as we continue on in the book, Mere Christianity, written by the great C.S. Lewis. If you haven't been following us, you need to first subscribe to this podcast and you need to check out the uh, nine previous episodes. Can you believe it? This is it has been 10. nine? Yeah, it's really? It's been nine, yeah, that we've been doing, uh, taking a nice leisurely stroll through the book of uh, C.S. Lewis. That's how we justify it. mention our- it like it's a book <laughs> of the Bible, right? But uh, yeah, this is a great book. It's a Christian classic. I think every Christian should read it. And uh, C.S. Lewis just writes in such a provocative way, such a simple way. And uh, every time you read it, you get something new out of it. So, uh, That's Paul. That's true. I mean, have you been enjoying this ride? This has been... It's been fun. And we've been doing the great divorce simultaneously, Brian and I. We're just getting our Lewis fill. I don't know what I was going to say. I was going to say yeah, something. <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere there, but yeah, you weren't. Yeah, I, I thought I was too, but... No, Lewis is fantastic. It makes me think that, like, his shoes are going to be difficult to fill. I don't think, like, there's going to be another... Yeah, I wonder if there is, Someone like a, of that caliber, someone who can just write that well and express ideas that clearly... Well, no one's going to be like that because all these darn kids are on social media all the time. Was that uh, Matthew McConaughey as a social grumpy media old... all the time. That's the problem. <laughs> we are not connecting with ourselves. We're sent connecting to the internet, and I don't think that's good. <laughs> Do you like that? That was like Matthew McConaughey meets George Bush. <laughs> I'm running for president, and uh, let's go to war in Iraq. There you uh, go. It never gets old. Uh, You're great, never Brian. Gets old. But uh, Paul, first of all, we for do all it. of our fans out <clears throat> there, you know, we really are the late night FM radio. We're always DJs. filming this late at night. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. that—that's when we're at our best. The irony is, people are listening to this at all times of day, or just not listening at all, <laughs> or just not listening at all. But for those of us who are listening. Paul, give us an update on your life. I'm going to leave Tallahassee. And why are you leaving Tallahassee? I got a job. Well, which we're is gonna, exciting. And I know that that's crushing for all of our fans out there, but we're going to still keep the podcast going in some way, shape, or form. We're yeah. going to try to make this work. We'll figure it Mommy out. Mommy and Daddy are going to make it work. That was okay? weird. That was so well, weird. Well, <laughs> it was weird, especially because you're the mom. <laughs> anyway, I, we're going to try to make it work, and uh, but... Paul, it, it's going to be weird not seeing you in person. Just, I'm just going to like... Is it even going to be the same? Not looking no. at your brown eyes. I'm going to have to like... Maybe if we do it, we'll have to like... Zoom? Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Video yeah, chatting yeah, yeah, exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah, be yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Or I'll like walk home to my apartment and you'll just be there. I know. I'll be like... <laughs> I just fly up every week to wherever you are. Paul, I missed you. Oh, look at this. It's not about us, though. It's about you guys. That's true. It's about C.S. Lewis. Oh, right. That's right. It's about C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. But before we do that, Paul, hit us with a a A hot take. hot take. So this is going to be totally... If you're listening to this and you're not from Tallahassee, then just skip forward five minutes. But for all of our Tallahassee listeners, I think Starbucks is better than Lucky Goat. By far. What? Yes. Well, I don't really drink coffee, so I don't have a huge opinion on this, but... People go crazy for Lucky Go. Why do you think, what's your reasoning for this? I genuinely think the coffee tastes better. Oh, especially the cold brew. Everyone's like, Lucky Go has great cold brew. It's just not that good. Starbucks cold brew is just unparalleled. It's incredible. What makes it so good? It's not as acidic. It's super full-bodied, which I know sounds very pretentious to say. I don't even know what full-bodied means. It means it feels like it's got a lot of coffee in it. 
Whereas okay. Lucky Go feels it's like slightly down. watery and like it's more acidic. It's just not as good. And people are going to be like, yes, you have to try the nitro. The nitro is not also, it's also not good. And I also like the slightly burnt taste from the Starbucks coffee. You do know, they do that on purpose? They do to Why? ensure consistency. Like every Starbucks you go to across the globe is going to have the same taste in coffee because they slightly burn it. And I, I like that. I think it. I think it tastes good. What does burnt coffee taste like? Like, how do you know if it's burnt? Well, they they like over roast the beans, and so they like it comes out more comes out burnt. Does or something. it taste burnt? Uh. Actually, so it might actually be that they actually like leave it in the pot longer. Yeah. So, so you can you can you can burn coffee. Are you that saying way. that they'd rather it be consistently eh okay than have each one fluctuate? Being this could be a good yeah. Batch, so this could be so a- to ensure that there's not a, a discrepancy between one taste and another. So it's not up to the the barista. They just have like a formula where they you know just burn it slightly. And oh, it so it's not up to the barista who's better. Yeah. At timing it or something. Yeah. So that, it kind of ensures consistency. But I mean, just as a as a general, I think Starbucks actually tastes better than Whatever Lucky happened to just Folgers, you know? Best Folgers part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. I know. They had such successful jingles. Yeah. And, but they and were, it, the coffee looked delicious on the commercials. I know. But it's have you tried Folgers? Well, it's funny it's because so bad. Folgers, when you think about it, <laughs> like if you think about what a Folgers can is, it's like, it's like a can of paint. And you open it up and it's like ashes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's what, whatever happened to Folgers? I ever, mean, people still sell it. That and Maxwell House. But that's like the lowest grade of coffee. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, no, it's, there is an instant coffee version, but there is a real coffee version. It's just kind of low quality. It comes in a can. Like coffee that comes in a can is just, you don't want to eat stuff from a can. It's like vegetables from a can. Brian doesn't eat vegetables to begin with. So this doesn't I don't doesn't even know what vegetables it. are. So... <laughs> Regardless, uh, I wonder if, if C.S. Lewis uh, always had a cup of coffee in the morning. Probably tea. He's an Englishman. He was. He drank a lot of tea, smoked a lot of cigars. I thought you were going to say something else. Anyway, <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure when he was uh, smoking those cigars or drinking that tea. Uh, or smoking the tea while drinking a cigar. Or smoking the tea while drinking a cigar. He was writing these portions of, of, uh, of mere Christianity. And uh, we're in the final book, aren't we? Yeah. Book four. Almost there. New Christianity is broken up into four sections, four mini books. Mm -hmm. And we're on section five of book four. Yep. And uh, here he talks about, well, the title is called The Obstinate Toy Soldiers. What does obstinate mean? Stubborn? Stubborn. Oh, that was a genuine question? Yeah. I mean, no. (laughs) I mean, it was for our viewers. I knew what obstinate. It obviously comes from a Latin root obstinatum which means it's where we get obstetrics constipation. from <laughs> it's where we get what from no we don't i just said obstetrics but that has nothing to do with it what is obstetrics like you know like women's pregnancy like medicine OBGYN, obstetrics gynecology brian's given me the that's the nerdiest thing you've ever said paul not as nerdy as uh, my comment yesterday during lord of the rings more stairs it's <laughs> something I'm trying now where it's, 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 it's like leaving you for dead, just like not responding to you. Yeah, to see like, if you'll just keep talking and going. <laughs> that was People great. think their phone died. You just died. start confessing all these things. You're just like, ah, I laundered money in fifth grade from, I don't know, something like that. Uh, fifth grade I probably day. did. We're getting off track, Paul. Our, you our are. viewers are depending upon us. So <clears throat> the obstinate toy soldiers, the stubborn toy soldiers, the very first sentence 
<laughs> is the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. I love that. It's like Christianity in a nutshell. How so? That God became one of us so that we as humans could eventually partake in the divine nature. Become our own mini-gods and have our own planets. That's right. It's all about Mormonism. Exactly. <laughs> no, but this idea of, it sounds kind of, I think to an evangelical mind, it might sound slightly off-putting, but this idea goes back to, I mean, it's in the New Testament that we become partakers of divine nature, that we're united with Christ, that we're seated in heaven with Christ, seated in heavenly places. And the early church talked about how God became human so humans can become God in the sense that we could join the divine family. And so this is a theme we see in Lewis. It's a theme we see in the gospel. And Lewis talks a lot about how that is one of the primary mechanisms that saves us, that we're joined to Christ. And in Christ's resurrection, we become joined to God and we're forever part of that divine family. Um, and so he's going to talk a lot about that in this section. Family language is really important when we understand the Trinity because God... He reveals himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's really important. It's not an arbitrary name. Right. That it's not as though uh, before his incarnation, Jesus was God number two or something like that. <laughs> and God, the Father sends him and says, why don't you just go and say you're my son? Or yeah. I mean, yeah. this is an eternal relation. Mm -hmm. So that tells us something about God. God forever, from eternity past, has been relational. Right. Right. That... Uh, that there is an extension of love to another in the Trinity. And so that helps us understand that this is who God is. God right. is personal. God mm -hmm. wants to know us. God wants to share himself with us. So if that's what it means to be sons of God, right? That now we're part of God's family. Yeah. And we're going to now living in God's family. That's going to shape us just like an adopted kid. He, comes into a new family, he's going to learn their language, their culture, their customs, sure. their virtues, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So too, now that God has made us his children, he's going to start to mold us to look like him, to reflect some of his characteristics. Hmm. Now there's a flip side, and this is where Lewis starts to get into what he calls the natural life. Yeah. What is life like outside of God's family? And he says this, the natural life in each of us is something self-centered, something that wants to be petted and admired, to take advantage of other lives, to exploit the whole universe, and especially wants to be left to itself, to keep well away from anything better or stronger or higher than it, anything that might make it feel small. It is afraid of the light and air of the spiritual world, just as people who've been brought up to be dirty are afraid of a bath. And in a sense, it is quite right. It knows that if the spiritual life gets hold of it, all its self-centeredness and self-will are going to be killed, and it is ready to fight tooth and nail to avoid that. So there's a couple things Lewis highlights about the natural life, about life apart from God. One, it's self-centered. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. I love how he says, the natural life wants to exploit the whole universe. I mean, that's new age theology. Yeah, yeah. The it's not theology, new age whatever, craziness. <laughs> the whole universe wants to manifest your desires, all that stuff. That's just selfishness, self-centeredness. But the second thing is more interesting where he says, when you are outside of God's family, uh, you don't want the things of God, right? You're a dirty person afraid of a bath, yeah. right? You know that if you take a bath, what's dirty in you will be washed away. Sure. And you actually want to cling to what's dirty in you. And he ties that into saying, you know, if you become a Christian, you're going to have to let go of all this self-centeredness and self-will. Mm -hmm. 
right? Now, that's not to say that people can't be selfless and not be a Christian, but you are not just saying, I'm no longer the king, but Christ is now the king, right? And so the call to that abandonment of self-will, that abandonment of calling the shots in your life is not appealing to people apart from grace. That's Mm -hmm. what sin wants. It's basically everything Christianity offers is the opposite of sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so if you love sin, Christianity will not be appealing to you. And that's the natural life, right? Life apart from God is this life of self-centeredness and this intense rebellion fighting tooth and nail against God. And not only that, Lewis calls it the natural life, but it's not it's not really life. And that that's kind of the whole point of this chapter that Lewis likens humanity to these tin soldiers. So tin soldiers don't have any life in them. They're inanimate objects. So, and we see this in the New Testament as well. The um, the life apart from Christ is called both uh, the natural life, the life of the flesh, but it's also called spiritual death. So it's characterized both ways. And Lewis has that same idea in this section. The natural life is one where the individual is caved in on himself. All of his desires are self-focused. Uh, he's using things to his own advantage. He just wants to see how the universe can be exploited for his own gratification. The funny thing is that that itself is not life. That itself is death. And so the solution is not just to make that individual less self-centered. The solution is to take that dead thing and to make it alive. So this is where that tin soldiers things uh, comes in. Uh, the goal is to take the tin soldiers and to give them life Somehow, the goal is to take humanity and give it life somehow. When it's cut off from God, it's not receiving its life from the divine life. It's caved in on itself. And so that's the problem. That is the problem that needs to be rectified. And the incarnation is the solution to that. The difference between tin soldiers and humanity, and Lewis points this out, is with tin soldiers, you've got sort of this, they're all, they're not connected, right? You've got lots of inanimate objects So if you take one of them and sort of make it alive, it's not going to do anything for the other ones. Whereas when we look at the incarnation and the son of God takes human nature to himself, how can that have the ability to spread to all other humans? Lewis calls it the good infection that we talked about in the last uh, podcast. How is it that Christ's humanity, that the son of God taking a human nature to himself has this power to reverberate out from just one human body to the rest of human bodies, both in like in the future, us now, 2000 years after the cross, people living before the cross, the saints in the Old Testament. How does that happen? And Lewis's answer is humanity is not just a bunch of individual tin soldiers. We're sort of bound up together. A father gives birth to a son and that son gives birth to another son. And there's a, a, a sort of humanity is a kind of organism in itself right. and all it's a of us chain of descent. exactly yeah and so in the same way lewis uses this metaphor if you take a drop of food coloring and put it in a glass of water you change all of the other drops of water right, in that right and so when christ when the son of god takes a human nature to himself and lives a perfect life and dies and resurrects that has the power to change the rest of humanity it's like that drop of water changing the rest of the cup um, Lewis says that, of course, the individuals have to appropriate that salvation. It's there for them, but still it's, it's Christ's humanity 
reverberating out to the rest of humanity because humanity is an organism in and of itself. And we don't really think about ourselves as connected that way to other people. Yeah, it is kind of counterintuitive. Right. You kind of think, well, how did Jesus' death affect everybody or whatever? And and Mm -hmm. we, we view ourselves very much as siloed individuals. Right. When in reality... Our lives are shaped by our parents, for good or bad, mm-hmm. our friends, the schools we went to, the experiences we've had. So we are the product of our interactions with other people. Hmm. So the, this idea of this radical individual really isn't accurate, right? Yeah. We're all connected. I mean, that is very true. The other thing that you mentioned about life, though, is, is a good point, too. When it, it, I, I would imagine even the, the metaphor of bringing toy soldiers to life is... I think we tend to think of God gives us life as in we were inanimate and now we're animated. Mm -hmm. You know, you were a a frozen thing and now you're a moving thing or something like that. Yeah. But life in the Bible and life in Christian theology takes on a moral character. Yeah, that's right. It's not merely being self-conscious or Mm -hmm. being active. I mean, Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Right. So he's obviously not saying that we are like zombies or we're well in a sense we're zombies i guess we're still moving but that's all but 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 the idea that we're not literally ceasing any physical functions right but that we are alive we're living we're breathing we're moving yeah but the quality of that life is one in rebellion to god following our passions being enslaved to our sinful that's right yeah Mm -hmm. so life takes on a moral character that's the big idea life is about a moral character and a type of life Mm -hmm. oriented towards god that's what real life is. So when people say, well, you can find life by, you know, finding yourself or doing all these things on your bucket list or something <laughs> like that. Really what you're talking about is you, you want to have an endorphin high or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But life, again, is much deeper. That idea is much deeper than some momentary experience. It is an orientation of your life that it's Godward, right? And mm-hmm. that's where you find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. And that's what Lewis is trying to say. So us becoming, uh, you know, transforming from toy soldiers to real people is not primarily about us, you know, going from inanimate objects to to objects that can move, but going from a people of a certain moral quality that is in love with sin to a different kind of moral quality that now loves righteousness. It's almost like going from being slaves to sin. To slaves to righteousness. I know. Well, and then, <laughs> but there's the flip where he talks about the incarnation, <clears throat> where he says Jesus became like us. Yeah. Where the Son took on human flesh and became like us, except without sin. Right. And he makes the point that he says uh, the eternal being. He's talking about Jesus, mm-hmm. who knows everything and who created the whole universe, became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. <laughs> and uh, so there you go. You have the, that Philippians 2, he did not count equality with yeah. thing to be grasped, but mm-hmm. he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took the form of a slave. Um, so the incarnation shows the humility of Jesus Christ right. to stoop down to our level mm-hmm. to redeem us. So yeah. he wasn't just taking on some form. He was actually going beneath himself, in a sense, to raise us up. He, he Jesus Christ comes down to us to lift us up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and later on he says that <clears throat> after Jesus was killed, the human creature in him 
because it was united to the divine son, came to life again. And this is the important part. The man in Christ rose again, not only the God. That is the whole point. For the first time, we saw a real man. One tin soldier, real tin, just like the rest, had come fully and splendidly alive. That that passage, Jesus is the first fruits. Right. Jesus is the first real man. And so that resurrected body tells us what humanity was supposed to be like in perfect communion with God and with a life that is going to be everlasting, never to perish. And so we look at that and we say, because Christ achieved that as the first fruits, he has assured us that that's going to happen to us as well. But it also gives us a glimpse of what humanity is supposed to look like. So, and we've talked about this before, we tend to think that to err is human, human nature is frail. But that's, when we, th- when we say those things, we have to keep in mind that we're talking about human nature with a fall, right? That's the conception. To err is human. What we mean is fallen humans err. But God's plan, God's design for humans is that they, what? That they look like Jesus. That is what a true human is supposed to be. And so the incarnation not only saves us, but it shows us what it is to be a true human. And it gives us that paradigm, that exemplar to try to follow and to walk in in, in Christ's footsteps. You, You find this when you talk to people of different religious faiths or people who are, you know, mm-hmm. I'm spiritual but not religious. They're all aiming for something. They're all aiming for the good life. And all their religions are pathways to that. So, you know, I follow, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, or I, I follow, you know, this new age kind of idea. and get Oprah. My, yeah, Oprah. I follow Oprah, whatever. <laughs> because you think there's this object of living you know, of, of real life, of life, what yeah. we want. Mm-hmm. And these are all paths to get there. And if your path is Jesus, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Christianity says, no, actually, there's only one path to life. Yeah. Right? You were made to worship the triune God, mm-hmm. not just some abstract God-like entity. Right. Right? You you are meant to worship the God who put on flesh. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is, again, like you mentioned Jesus Christ not only provides the way of salvation, he gives us an example of what it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. Like this is the first tin soldier to come fully alive in a sense. Right. And, you know, was, Jesus wasn't the first man. Well, in a, I mean, he wasn't the first man chronologically, but he is the, the, the prototype. He is the, the, the vision of what a true human being is supposed to be, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, even he even surpasses Adam. I mean, Adam was not mm-hmm. immortal. Right. Well, I mean, you could, at least it doesn't seem like he was because God said, I'm going to cut you off from the tree because if you eat from the tree, you'll become immortal. Right. Um, so Jesus Christ is immortal, though. His resurrection body will never die again. Death has no hold over, mm-hmm. over him. So we get this vision of this is what a human being is supposed to be like. Yeah. And this human being actually is God. And I love that Lewis has an eye for, he's trying to draw out just how magnificent the, the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ is. And he, he talks about how this, talking about the incarnation and the resurrection, it makes a difference to people who lived before Christ as well as to people who lived after him. So that, think of the shockwaves along the timeline that Christ, that the Son of God taking humanity literally explodes in both directions in the timeline and changes humanity, again, because humanity is this singular organism. So I'm just going to quote from Lewis here. 
is that if you could see humanity spread out in time as God sees it, it wouldn't look like a lot of separate things dotted about. It would look like one single growing thing, rather like a very complicated tree. Every individual would appear connected with another. And that's how the incarnation can have this effect on both directions of the timeline, because humanity is this massive organism from the first human until the day of judgment. Right. And Jesus is able to rescue that by taking a human nature to himself. It's pretty well, amazing. Well, he says, too, uh, one of our own race has this new life. If we can get to him, we shall catch it from him. He's talking about hmm. the, yeah. yeah. I love how he says this, that salvation is like this infection. Yep. Now, now yep. we're infected with this new life, yeah. right? Yep. And he says a human, you know, has been raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. We can, too, if we get close to him. Yeah. You know, and that's the idea of what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, the Bible, the most common uh, description of a Christian is in Christ. Right. What does that mean? Well, it means that now you're identified with Jesus, and what's true of him is now true of you by faith. So we used to be identified with Adam. Mm -hmm. All that Adam showed us, disobedience to God, selfishness, we inherited. We became like that. In Jesus, we have a reversal. We yeah. now have the, the good prototype that mm -hmm. didn't fall, that we can now become like. Yeah. And and it's almost like Jesus paves the way. So as we follow him, we become like him. As we become like him, we fulfill our destiny as human beings. That's the best way to put it. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, Jesus yeah. is the destiny of what we are going to be like. Now, we're not going to be God. Right. But that is important. And Lewis makes the point. God, as a man, rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. Right? That if you think about it this way, Jesus Christ, God, puts on flesh, condescends to come down to our level, dies and rises again as a human with to us. lift us up. Yeah. So I like to call it the Velcro model. Velcro model. Yeah. What? Jesus is one half of the Velcro, comes down to humanity, sticks on. With a sloppy wet kiss. When he gets raised from the dead, he pulls humanity out and saves humanity. And you might think, so you might think Lewis is a universalist or is he saying all humans are saved? But he, he very clearly says that's not what he's trying to, to do. And so uh, let me just quote. He says directly, humanity is already saved in principle. We individuals have to appropriate that salvation. So we have to take hold of it. But the good news is, and he says, the really tough work, the bit that we could not have done for ourselves has been done for us. We haven't got to try to climb up the spiritual life by our own efforts. It has already come down to us in the human race. Thank so you. it's there. Humanity, so it's there. salvation is there. Humanity is saved in principle. All you have to do is accept the grace. You have to appropriate it. And there's lots of different ways. Lewis says, you can say, well, I accept that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Um, Jesus took the punishment on my behalf. But he says, there's lots of different, whatever formulation, you know, you want to, to express, to capture this idea. He's like, let's not get bogged down by the details, but we can appropriate that life that is given to us in Christ uh, by, by accepting it, by believing that God's grace is sufficient. Well, he goes on in the next chapter to talk about two objections or two notes. He says yeah. two notes. <clears throat> Note number one is one sensible critic wrote me asking why if God wanted sons instead of toy soldiers, he did not beget many sons at the outset instead of first making toy soldiers and then bringing them to life by such a difficult and painful process. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's just basically like, why does it just make us living right. people instead of having to redeem us? Yeah. This is really just connected to why did he have a fall? 
Right. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. And so you're talking about the problem of evil, and then and that's what Lewis says. And yeah, you can listen to our podcast series on that. But, <laughs> but yeah, but that's Lewis's point, right? Yeah. I mean, he says one on a certain level we can't know, <clears throat> and then he says he gave them free will. Right. And he gave them free will because the world of mere automata, like robots, yeah, could never love and therefore never know infinite happiness. What do you think about that, though? This whole free will talk. Again, so and you you can go back to listen to the full development that we and the full treatment that we gave to this question on the Problem of Evil podcast. But I I don't think that it does the kind of work that Lewis wants it to do. I'm I'm skeptical that the free will response because God. Like, again, the, the problem of heaven. Could God create a situation where all of us don't sin ever? Yes. And that's called the new creation. So God could have bypassed this earth phase where humans fall and struggle and sin and there's evil. Um, so it, it, it comes down to the question of every Christian tradition has to grapple with the idea that God knew humanity was going to fall and 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 plan the world that way. He for for some reason he wanted that story rather than a story where we didn't fall, or rather than a story where all of us never sinned. And and Lewis kind of he he says that he says uh, when you're talking about God, in other words, about the rock bottom irreducible fact on which all other facts depend, it's nonsensical to ask if it could have been otherwise. So there comes a point where our questioning about why did God decide to do this? Why did God decide to create? And we just have to... We don't know. We don't know. I don't know. I have, I have no idea. And it's like... <laughs> it's above my pay grade. Just because you don't know doesn't mean it's not true. And yet, there couldn't be a good reason. I think right. That it's, we're, we're, we're reaching the limits of our reason and our yeah. understanding, mm -hmm. which is what Lewis is trying to say. Right. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting that he recognized, okay, some people, you know... Can, can think in this way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he does raise that problem, though, of, of how, why doesn't God have multiple sons? Or, or basically, what's the difference between the Son of God and us as sons of God? Right. Um, and again, so the Son of God is the Son of God by nature. And right. us as being incorporated into the divine family, we are sons of God by adoption. It's like a biological son versus an adopted son. Exactly. Right. So. Right. We're not, we're not eternal, we're not divine by nature, we're human, but God elevates us and it's through grace that we have this ability to participate in the divine life, whereas the Son of God has it by nature. That is who he is, and he can't be that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about, um, you know, a son, a biological son receives his nature from his father. He's by nature his son. Mm -hmm. But an adopted son is by virtue of a, of a choice on the right, father it's grace and mm -hmm. a legal sort of relationship right and it's a gracious thing he extends he becomes a son uh like it's uh, a biological son is in a sense owed sonship he simply is his son mm -hmm. but an adopted son it's it's a gift he could not be his son right right mm -hmm. and so we could not be god's son but now we've been brought it now there's also a difference between you know, Jesus is superior to us. We're, yes. we're not going to become mini Jesuses in, in, in a <laughs> sense. But uh, I think it's, you have to look at it in this way, that uh, God himself has united himself forever to human nature. Not so that we would become God or try to take his place, mm -hmm. but, that's that we, but so that we would know what life with God is like. Right. And he does that by coming in our form 
to reach us, mm-hmm. to bring us back towards him. Yeah. Right. So it's the, I mean, he went <clears throat> all the way. Like he didn't just send an angel. He didn't just send a couple signs like, Hey, find me. He became one of us. Yeah. That is the depth and the, 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 the intensity of focus and the willingness that God has. The author wrote himself into the story. The author wrote himself into the story. Uh, The second note is, uh, the objection, I guess, is the idea that the whole human race is, in a sense, one thing. Yeah. One huge organism (laughs) like a tree. Uh, Must not be confused with the idea that individual differences do not matter or that the real people, Tom and Nobby (laughs) and Kate, are somehow less important than collective things like classes and race and so forth. Isn't Nobby a weird name? It is. Sounds like an elf from Hop from... From Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but it, it sounds like what he's saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that he's basically saying, well, if, if all of humanity is an organism in a tree, then individualism doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. So he's, he's like in, in that previous chapter that we talked about with the, the, the tree, the organism example, there's a tendency to take that metaphor, metaphor too far, metaphor, <laughs> metaphor too far, and say that there's no individuality. Metaphor too far. <laughs> sounds like a weird Star Wars R2-D2. Metaphor 2-4. Oh, weird stare again from Brian. But you might think that there's one, you might think that the, the, the humanity, the organism metaphor reduces or eliminates the individuality and the particular of human beings. So that once you become a Christian, your identity is lost somehow in, in the mass. And Lewis's point is not that. It's, it's rather when you look at a human body, and Paul talks about how the church is the body of Christ, it is an organism, but within the organism, there are important ways of differentiating one person from another. There's lungs, there's kidneys, there's eyes, there's ears. And so each member in the human organism, in the body of Christ, plays a unique role so that you can't say to the hand, I don't need you. You can't say to the ear, there's no point. So everybody has a particularity, a unique personality and set of gifts and contributions and talents and skills and aspirations and desires that are unique to them. And those are important for the kingdom of God. And everyone's essential. Everyone is necessary for the proper functioning of the organism. But that doesn't mean that there's not still an organism over and above all the right, individuals. Right, there's a unity so, and a diversity. Exactly. And you see this in like Ephesians, like the, we all have gifts <clears throat> by the one spirit. Right. And that is important you know, the Bible does not erase individuality. Mm-hmm. It puts it in its proper context. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, we can't really be individuals without relation to other people. You know, I, I mean? yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, like your name came from somebody <clears throat> else. Mm-hmm. Your genetic features came from somebody else. Yeah. Your interests came from, like, <clears throat> what would you even be? <laughs> you know, you'd be an amorphous blob. You'd be an amorphous blob, right? <laughs> Some of us are. So. <laughs> But, but I love what he says, when you find yourself wanting to turn your children or pupils or even your neighbors and the people exactly like yourself, remember that God probably never meant them to be that. What a reminder. Yeah. Right. I mean, how many times do we look at other people and wish they could be more like us and we excuse our own faults or flaws or, or stuff like that? But but also we fail to recognize that it's good that, that nobody's like us. Like sometimes we think, if only everybody thought like me. Well, I don't know if that'd be a really good idea. Maybe it's good that some people don't. It would if everybody thought like me. Well, you're a philosopher, so of course you can say that. Um, but that, that, that's something that really, you know, stokes our critical thinking about like, well, not even our critical thinking, but like, how do we relate to other people? 
Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. yes. Basically, being part of this organism doesn't mean complete uniformity. Sure. Right. That we can be we can be different in a lot of ways and still share that common. Yeah. Uh, organism root or it's, whatever. It's almost as if so you can think of two different extremes, and I've definitely seen both of these embraced or countenanced in culture. One of which is the well, there's like you need to just become, you just need to conform, right? Become part of something bigger than you. It doesn't matter who you are. Like we hear those kinds of messages a lot. And then you hear on the other hand, the radical, you do you, it doesn't matter, put yourself first. So there's a radical individualism and then there's a radical collectivism. Collectivism. And Christianity, again, as it does in so many places, offers that balance in the mean that finds the good things of both and puts them into that healthy position, that healthy balance that incorporates both of those, that you can retain your individual identity, that there are unique gifts and talents that you have, and yet those are supposed to be employed in the service of something bigger than you. Right. And so you've got the best of both of those errors, those extremes, in the Christian view. And there you go. That's Lewis again pointing that how the Christian view solves another problem. It's like Hannah Montana, the best of both worlds. Wow. Yeah. I'm or shocked it's like that you the know that. Half man, half God. <laughs> Catch the heresy. Catch the heresy. I'm just going to give you a wide berth in case like lightning strikes right now. Oh, gosh. Well, that wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> That's weird. What? <laughs> anyway. Awkward. Keep following us. Uh, along, keep following us along, keep following along with us as we continue with Mere Christianity. We are having a lot of great discussion about this and hope it's really beneficial to you. Pick up the book, read through it. I mean, this is a book that if you buy, it'll be an investment for the rest of your life. And you'll come to it and you'll tell your kids and they'll tell their kids. And and then hopefully you can tell your grandkids about our podcast. You can tell your they're massive. they into their brains. <laughs> yeah, two generations from now. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Leave a review, subscribe, share with your friends, and we will catch you next week.